0: The Irish Times Business Podcast in association with Irish Life. We can help your
1: company and your employees look forward to tomorrow. We know Irish Life. We are Irish Life.
0: Hello and welcome to the Irish Times Business Podcast. This is Wednesday, December 9th. I'm Kieran Hancock and on this week's show we'll be investigating Dennis O'Brien's extraordinary legal action with Irish consulting group Red Flag. Column Kina is in the studio to explain what the story is all about. We'll also be tuning into the battle for customers among Ireland's paid TV companies in a week when Air agreed to buy Satanta Sports and Virgin Media closed its deal with TV3. Laura Slattery will join us later to explain the background to these deals. But we'll start first of all with Dennis O'Brien's legal action against Red Flag Consulting It was back in court this week and there for the Irish Times was Colm Keane recently appointed as Legal Affairs correspondent Column, welcome to the show uh, explain for us first of all
1: what this whole lawsuit is about because it's quite an extraordinary case isn't it yes it is a, a very extraordinary one um, Dennis O'Brien is uh, claiming that um, that Red Flag Consulting and a number of uh, the people associated with the company um, um, conspired together uh, to damage him and did damage him, and they want he wants to, he wants uh, dam, he wants uh, to sue them and get damages in return. And is it damage him in the run up to the IPO
0: that he was trying to get off the ground for? A so. as Caribbean Telecoms. Company? Very
1: much okay. so. Uh, and, and the IPO that was pulled. So his uh, his claim is that uh, over a period of months, he felt that uh, that there were too many coincidences where journalists were contacting him or his press officer officer and asking the same questions at the same time and he grew suspicious that there was a campaign an organized campaign out uh, out there uh, ag- against him and designed to damage him and um this in turn led him t- to taking a few actions that he says led him to uh, conclude that uh, or led, led to events that led him to conclude uh, that Red Flag were organising this conspiracy. He hired some
0: private investigators, another.
1: Well, I? yeah, this is uh, one of the interesting uh, um, aspects of the case. Initially, he went to went to court initially looking for the court to order authorize something called an Anton Pillar. This is done on next party application and you send you get the right to send people in to seize seize uh, computers and next and and party is when only one side only is involved. Only one side is involved and go in and, and raid their offices essentially. Um that was refused, but um he did get the right to image a lot of their equipment and so on. Um following discussions before the court. Now the what his his grounding affidavit as it's called it says that when he was grew suspicious that there was a campaign against him, he engaged professional investigators for the purpose of investigating whether there was a campaign against me. I'm reading his affidavit now. And if so, the source of the campaign. I can tell the court that investigations took place and inquiries were made. I learned from this investigation that the first-named defendant, that's red flag, was involved in disseminating information relating to me by way of a dossier. In addition, during the course of the investigation, and presumably prompted by the inquiries, I received an envelope, anonymously, which contained a memory stick, which itself contained a dossier. I do not set, know who sent me this envelope. Having considered the contents of the memory stick, I was shocked, as they were simply extraordinary. It's clear to me that this was part of a campaign to undermine me, which has been going on for some time, and which is calculated to cause me maximum damage. Okay, before so, we go any further, maybe we should mm-hmm. just uh, tell people, and inform listeners, who's behind Red Flag. Yes, Um well, the, the 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 head of Red Flag is Carl Brophy. Uh, he formerly worked from from the uh, the uh, in, independent group, and the other members are the other defendants in the case are Seamus Conboy, Gavin O'Reilly, Breed Murphy, and Kevin Heine. And this is
0: Gavin O'Reilly, formerly head of Independent News and Media Mm -hmm. in Ireland, uh, around the time that Dennis O'Brien was trying to gain control of that company in a battle with the O'Reillys. Yes. And uh, Carl Brophy was his communications, was Gavin O'Reilly's communications director uh, at INM at that time. But there's also a little bit more history between Brophy and Dennis O'Brien, isn't
1: there? There is, yeah. There was a libel libel case a number of years ago, which... uh, um, and Dennis, Dennis O'Brien won, won, won that very substantial award. And in his affidavit, uh, Mr O'Brien says, there's a lot of uh, um, um, history in between Gavin O'Reilly and Carl Brophy and himself and a lot of reasons for their difficult relationships. And he claims that they were effectively hired by a company. Well, this is precisely the point of the hearing this week. Um, the hearing this week was, uh, just to go back for a second now, so this dossier he's referring to in that... In, in that um, um, extract we read out there is a USB stick. He says he received it uh, anonymously in an envelope in his office in Dublin and uh, opened it. There was a code, the password was password protected. There was a code written inside the envelope um, that he, he used. He put the, the key in his computer, uh, uh, used the code to open it up, saw it to work. It contains a lot of newspaper articles all about him. Mostly, he says, negative articles. Um, three... Uh, uh, Authored uh, documents about who is Dennis O'Brien, what's the IPO, and so on. Tell us about the Moriarty Tribune, that sort of thing. And a draft of a speech that was to be delivered in, in the Dole by Column Keevney. Of Finfall. Yes. And. Um, the uh, so he sent this this uh, dossier off for analysis uh, by uh, people who can forensically examine these things and they they've told him that the first documents appear to have been uh, created as far back as may of this year so he's of the view this is a campaign that was going on for some time um, he initiated the case in the high court and um, and uh, red flag in response have have confirmed that the the Material in this dossier, save the, 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 the draft, the uh, speech, were created at, uh, following their being commissioned by a client. And, I mean, among the
0: dossier, I was just uh, reading a piece in today's Irish Times by Mary Carlin. He's described, uh, some, there are several references to him in this dossier, but he's described as Ireland's Silvio Berlusconi
1: yes and just the reason they're in court yesterday and again on friday is he wants to know who's his client and he wants to be told straight away because he's afraid the client will destroy material or whatever that might be pertinent to the case and he wants to find out who this client is and to sue this client so he's been very direct and, and straight up about that he wants to join this this uh this client to the case and um and uh, the, uh, there's a lot of legal arguments about about whether he should be given that information or not. But and in in his initial affidavit, for David, he had a long list of what he said were defamatory um, aspects of the of the material in the dossier. He's now restricted it down to the three, uh, the Berlusconi, uh, and two others. Um, and there was a bit of debate about that in the court. As y- as yesterday, he, yesterday he seems to be narrowing the focus. But he yeah. he says he's essentially taking these as representative. Uh, uh, examples of the defamatory nature of the uh, of what's on the dossier but what I think is very interesting and maybe very interesting for people involved in the PR and lobbying business is that the the, the 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 court has been told by Dennis O'Brien's side is that he's entitled to compensation if he can show that one or more people or two or more people uh, conspired together to damage him now they can cons- conspire by using legal means in other words most of the articles in, in, in the... in uh, publicly available. ...are uh, publicly available articles. But his, his side are arguing it, that if you do gather all this information and you, you gather with a view to damaging him and you go out and communicate these, the, this information to others and you succeed in damaging, he can sue you.
0: Yeah. Uh, well, my question was going to be, I mean, it might be unethical uh, perhaps for a, a company such as Red Flag to uh, compile a dossier on somebody like Dennis O'Brien and and, and you know... Give it for pay or not for pay to uh, to to an opponent of his,
1: but is it unlawful? Well, that's that's precisely the point. Uh, that's the point that will have to be addressed by this. Uh this uh, this case eventually, when it goes to hearing, that he's alleging conspiracy, and that that if the people conspire together to damage, to damage a third party, and they do so using what they call lawful means, you can u- you can use unlawful means as well. He's saying that happened as well because it invo- involves a defamatory material being communicated, which is equivalent of publication. But he's saying you could, if you conspire together, a group of people conspire together to. Create, to cause damage to a third party that's that's actionable they can go and sue and and, and get 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 uh, get money now what's red flag's defense to all of these allegations well I think at this stage red flag are saying well they're, they're at this stage they're in the court now red flag are being asked to produce the name of the client and they're saying no so the the onus is on Dennis O'Brien's side to prove to the court that um the, the name should be produced so at this stage um a red flag don't have to defend the case mm. they just have to defend this particular um this application and uh, so they're 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 saying this is confidential uh, this the name of their client is confidential that this case is causing them damage and but also they're saying that they want to know um more about the private investigation and the, and the circumstances surrounding how Dennis O'Brien uh, received the USB stick. He seems to have changed his uh, tune a little bit, yes, Dennis O'Brien, yeah, in yes. terms yes. of how he came into possession of this information. Yeah, that's exactly the point. So they they they're saying, well, hang on a minute. How did you get this USB stick? This is information we, you know, this is, these are our files. We didn't give it to you. Uh, you know, how did you get it? And and can you tell us more about that? So in his um, in his second uh, affidavit. Uh, in relation to this week's uh, proceedings, uh, proceedings, he said, as he said before, I became suspicious there was a campaign to discredit me, me and I instructed my solicitors in early September 2015 to retain competent persons who could investigate who might be behind it. I say that my solicitors have informed me that they retained the services of a John Whelan a chartered accountant experienced in due diligence and in corporate investigations and that he commenced an investigation of publicly available information on my businesses and myself and relevant media commentary to see if the source of this campaign could be identified. My solicitor informed me that Mr. Whelan, who had previously worked for PwC and is now working with a business consultancy firm in Kiev, and it would take several weeks to report on his findings." In the event, the memory stick was received anonymously in the interim and Mr. Whelan did not then provide a report. So, uh, what Dennis O'Brien is saying here is that he engaged this man, Whelan, over Kiev to look through publicly available um, um, documents. And and, um, meanwhile, the USB stick turned up at his office in Dublin. So, they dispensed with Mr. Whelan at that point, did they? Yes, it seems seems he never reported. But the first... um, Affidavit would give the impression that it was the investigator who told Dennis O'Brien that Red Flag were disseminating this dossier. So it's, there's a little bit of confusion bit there. Of confusion and there, right? uh, and uh, Red Flag are saying that when he first approached the court, uh, he, he he didn't have the necessary candour about what was going on and how he came into possession of this USB stick. That's heavily denied by Dennis O'Brien. And he's really annoyed about their um, They're implying that there might be something improper or illegal about how he came into um, possession of the USB stick. And he said in a second affidavit that he's going to look for punitive damages arising out of that suggestion having been made. What impact is this having on Red Flag? Some suggestions that perhaps they've lost one project already uh, from a client. Yeah, they, they say they've lost one project. They say, well, obviously there's, there's a lot of lawyers involved. There's a lot of so the cost legal of legal letters costs are flying busy. back and forth. And also that has been this big imaging process where they've had to image all their um, their, their equipment. They're, I think they're about a year and a bit in, in existence. Um, and uh, there's also, of course, the major intrusion in their, you know, in their day-to-day life. And where does the judge stand in all of this? What kind of direction has the judge given to it so far? Well, at the moment, where where we're at is we're halfway through this application about name name the client, and then after that, you you'll go through the normal process uh, in terms of uh, discovery and so on, and people will prepare for the case, and eventually it'll come to court. I mean, this could be potentially hugely
0: damaging for a Red Flag, even if the case pans out in their favour. Because there's a lot of negative publicity out there about them at the minute, um, and that could have kind of consequences uh, down the road for them. And that some clients might sort of say, "Oh, yeah, you were the company involved in that Dennis O'Brien case, where mm, you know maybe, maybe, maybe I won't, uh, I won't go your route. Maybe I'll go with somebody else."
1: Well, that certainly is the impression that that's that that is a concern of theirs. That's the impression you created by their their responding affidavits, and they um, have. Um, also said that they don't want to reveal the name of the client because the client confidentiality might be something that they also should be able to guarantee to their to their clients. Um, and the other issue is, of course, this enormous amount of time is going into this. and uh, It's a huge distraction yeah, for the manager. Yeah, a huge sure. distraction and it's a lot of resources. I don't know if they have the resources to keep funding it. Yeah. Um, so where does it go from here? Well, again, like I say, we'll have a ruling on, on whether the client should be revealed or not. And it seems if the client is revealed, Dennis O'Brien will join him to the case. And then uh, then we'll go through normal discovery and so on, defences and so on. That's and so right, we'll that ruling client. will be when? Well, we don't know yet. There'll be more discussion about this on on Friday. The, it'll, it'll mainly be uh, red flags responding to what Dennis O'Brien's counsel said on Wednesday.
0: Right, OK. Now, it's been a busy year on the legal front for Dennis O'Brien. He's, he's launched a number of uh, legal proceedings against various uh, entities. Why is he being so
1: litigious? Well, I don't. I, it seems that he's having difficulty. It seems to me he's having difficulty uh, reconciling himself to the fact that the, the findings of the Moriarty Tribunal are hanging around and keep on cropping up and keep on uh, raising questions about. Um, you know the earlier part of his career and so most of it most of the cases seem to go back to that plus you have people who, who lost out in the 1995 license competition or they're they're lining up they're taking a case against the state and he's managed to get himself joined to the one been taken by persona so that he can he can uh, have his say in that and on the day, on Wednesday, when we were in the High Court, listening to these applications about red flag, there was a, a case on in the Supreme Court where he was querying an aspect of, of decisions made by the Moriarty Tribunal. So it just seems to be going on and on. And there's an, there's an enormous amount of uh, the High Court's time being taken up by uh, by Dennis O'Brien. He, he said that um, in this case... Uh, you know, that his counsel said that you know he's reduced the number of allegations of defamation. He's selected a few that he wants to concentrate on. And um, Red Flag have raised that as an issue. And his counsel said, well, you know, no, normally my client's been criticised for suing too much. And now he's been uh, criticised for not suing enough. Right, nice. OK. If
0: Dennis O'Brien is successful in this case, and I know it's a big if um, still at this stage, we'll see what way the, the court comes down on this, but if he were to be successful, what are the implications uh, of of a ruling in his favour going forward, particularly for the way corporate business is done in Ireland?
1: Well, I think if, if you're involved in, you know, lobbying or behind the scenes trying to influence people's uh, prof- public profiles and so on in the context of of, of corporate business, I think you'd be very worried about what you get up to and you'll have to know you'll have to know exactly what what... Uh, Constitutes conspiracy, and what doesn't, and be careful that you don't cross the line, because you would think that collating a lot of information that's already publicly out out there for the the ease of the ease of of your client or whatever um, would would be a straightforward issue. And then if they're sharing that around, but if the focus is on undermining somebody or damaging somebody's reputation. Perhaps you're, you're creating an arguable case against you and exposing yourself depending on... I mean, sometimes in these corporate issues there's a lot of money involved and people are trying to, you know, influence enormous decisions involving a lot of money. So in a case like that, you might be leaving yourself open to allegations or that, that claims for a lot, a, lot, a lot of money and damages. So I think people have to uh, pay a lot of attention to it. Okay, Colin Keenan, thank you for joining us. At Irish Life, we can tell you that 49% of employees in Ireland don't think about tomorrow. They don't have a pension plan. We can help you help them. Because if you're involved in running your company's pension plan, we can administer it for you. With our member-specific investment solutions, online access for employers, trustees and members, and always-on smartphone apps. Just call one of our corporate team on 704 1845. Visit irishlifecorporatebusiness.ie or contact your pension consultant to find out how we can help your company think of tomorrow. We know Irish Life. We are Irish Life. Irish Life Assurance PLC is regulated by the Central Bank of Ireland. All information source for Irish Life September 2014.
0: We'll switch now to the whole area of television and this week air agreed by Satanta Sports while Virgin Media closed its deal for TV3. Laura Slattery joins me in studio to discuss the implications of all of this. I should also point out that Sky Sports won the Irish Premier League rights uh, winning them off Satanta recently so they're going to be able to broadcast from next season on we're to, you know, going to be able to broadcast Saturday afternoon Premier League games in Ireland which is an interesting development. Laura, what, what should we make of all of this?
2: Yeah, well, I mean, as you say, it's about television, but it's also about broadband and uh, it's about using the most lucrative type of television content, which is sport, to um, to sell more broadband and more customers. customers. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know. uh, Richard
0: Mote, the Air Chief Executive, this week uh, described the acquisition of Satanta as a game changer. And I'm not quite sure how it is because Satanta yeah. is available on Virgin Media. It's also available on Sky Sports. So how... How will it be a game changer to the effect that Air will be able to win new customers for its own television package, AirVision?
2: I think he may well he may well have been thinking it's a game changer for Air um, because, uh, you know, although they have a strong position in a way, they're the incumbent in many homes. Um, you know, they, they're trying to build that broadband uh, customer base and they uh, don't have... Although they are a quad play offer, their television angle of that is uh, is is the, you know the newest of all the of all the television providers in Ireland. So they only have about something like thirty thousand customers there, and you know they're trying to sell multiple services. They're uh, trying to persuade people that you really need to get this air fibre to the home um, package. Um, here here here's here's a sort of a sexy marketing angle. where the ones with the with the rights via Satanta to um, various uh, sports, sports fixtures over yeah. the next
0: three years. Let's just set the scene in relation to Virgin Media. It was UPC up until very recently. It's owned by a company called Liberty Global, which in turn mm-hmm. is owned by a very wealthy American called John Malone. Um, and Liberty uh, then went off and bought uh, TV3 recently. That do- deal closed um, this week. David McReban, the TV3 chief executive, has now departed the company. Virgin Media has a new chief executive, yep. uh, Tony Hanway, from uh, formerly of O2. And you've been interviewing him this week. What's he had to say from himself?
2: Yeah, I mean there's some parallels definitely between uh what Virgin is doing and uh what Air has just done. You know, again, you know, Virgin um, is—it's a company. um, It's not owned by Richard Branson, contrary to what its advertisements might imply. He owns the brand. brand. Yeah, he licenses the brand to them. They're owned by John Malone. Uh, Liberty Global is a—you know—it's a cable giant. John Malone is known as the cable cowboy. He also
0: owns Eurosport. Yeah, I
2: mean that's it. I mean, really, as I said, you know, they were traditionally the cable company, but they have done so much more on content in. Investments in, in recent years. John Malone happens to be the largest shareholder also in Discovery Communications, which owns the Eurosport. But together, Liberty and, and Discovery own a really big production house called All Three Media. And uh, they have a joint uh, investment in Lionsgate Studios. So there's a huge content And John Malone is also
0: a major shareholder in ITV.
2: That's right. And ITV is taking over UTV (laughs) Ireland. I mean, this is where where it gets really interesting in the Irish context because, yeah, um, although, you know, TV3 was the first kind of traditional free-to-air broadcaster in that, you know, particular group, he he does, liberally has a 9.9% stake in ITV. ITV is a rumoured takeover target. So, you know, it would be very interesting in the Irish context where, you know, essentially it would mean uh, UTV slash UTV Ireland, if it continues, will be in the same group as TV3 three.
1: in the future
2: were, were, were the Liberty global takeover of ITV to happen but um, yeah no, I mean I think both um, you know Tony Hanway at Virgin Media and Richard Mote at Air would agree that you know broadband is the main thing they're trying to sell here but they've both also gone down this sports content route and mm. I think it's going to have, we have any sense, for broadcasters
0: Do we have any sense of the kind of synergies um, that they might be able to derive from owning in Air's case, from owning Satanta Sports, uh, Virgin Media's case from having, let's say, a sister company in tv 3 Do we have any sense of of how they can leverage off that for their own benefit?
2: Um, I'm actually, you know, I'm actually not sure at the moment. I think one thing, um, you know, Virgin Media Ireland is is sort of taking responsibility for Virgin Media Northern Ireland. Uh, that's going to fall within their uh, jurisdiction from now on. And TV3 currently you know, doesn't really have much of a presence, any presence up in Northern Ireland. So that's one obvious uh, solution, perhaps through that that particular ownership relationship. Um, but you know, as for Air and Satanta, you know, really, it's, it's actually really, it's going to be really interesting. What do they do with that content? Because in the UK, of course, some of the, the the rights that that BT Sport has, which which Satanta has, the relationship with BT. Um, but BT uses that exclusively, you know, keeps it all for themselves in order to drive customer numbers, which, you know, seems to be working on some level, although they paid such a massive price. It it's, it's, it's sort of remains to be seen whether it pays off. Um, so I I'd, I I'd thought I thought you know is there some way that air can hold back some Tanta some rights content, for yeah. themselves or some some you know some something to dangle?
0: Well, there are some very interesting rights coming up next year. The GA will be yeah. renegotiating its uh, all Ireland championship rights and. Uh, RTE um, Sky already on the pitch uh, but a suggestion that TV3 will be looking to bid for those rights and air strokes at Tanta
2: Yeah I mean at the moment RTE has most of them and Sky has some of them quite you know controversially as it turned out Um, but I, I think there is going to be a change next time around and the split could be different TV3, you know, previously had some GAA rights, but I think there was a feeling they didn't have enough of them to maybe, you know, market, you know, and advertising packages around it and really, you know, make its name for itself as a GAA um, broadcaster. And you know they've 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 learned some lessons, I think, from the Rugby World Cup. You know, they're, they're, the other thing we haven't mentioned, of course, is that they've uh, snatched the Six Nations rights off RTE. So I think they're going to go after the GAA. You know, assuming assuming they do have the money from Kirsty of Virgin Media. And um, my sense from Tony Hanway is that he's keen on on sports rights as a means as a means of of uh, of growing the business. So they're going to go after GAA rights in a big way. You would think that maybe Air. Via Satanta will as well. And they of um, course, the
0: sponsor of the GA. It's the sponsor yeah. of the All Ireland Football Championship. So, So, it w- the, it make so sense what for them. this
2: means for RTE, I don't know, but it's, yeah. it's going to be tricky for them.
0: And I mentioned Sky winning those Irish Premier League rights. It's very interesting because these 3 pm kickoffs on Saturday, this is an Ireland exclusive thing. They're not shown in the UK. Uh, Sky has, uh, in the past, has never really bothered with these rights Satanta have won the most I think RT had them some years ago but now Sky has won these rights from next season onwards um, and they're going to have to have some sort of opt out aren't they because they can't show them in the UK so have we yep. any sense of how they're going to manage that broadcast in Ireland
2: um, well I think they, they, they. You know, it's. It, I think that's quite too straightforward to have the opt-out, but it's. It, they will be marketing big time around that, and they're very happy, and it's. It's going to drive a lot of subscriber interest, I think, in Sky. So is
0: it going to be the case that one of their sports channels shows to Ireland only, and it's going to effectively be blacked out for the UK audience? Uh, I would
2: imagine. I would imagine so. I imagine that's what they have to do. Uh, but the, 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 you know, I suppose the significant thing about the three pm kickoff is that you know that's always. When originally, when all the matches were on, there was probably still a sense of that's when people want to sit sit down and watch a match, and of course, they can't, as you say in the u k yeah. but um I think those are gonna those matches could get big numbers,
0: sure, 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 now from a consumer point of view, a lot of consumers are probably agnostic as to who provides their services at the end of the day it probably comes down to price, maybe a bit of speed on the broadband side, reliability of service so what what does What is all of this going to mean for consumers? Are we going to get cheaper prices, for example? Are we going to get more investment in, uh, I don't know, HD or other technologies? How's it going to play out?
2: Well, I mean, there definitely is going to be more investment. Um, Virgin Media is planning a big uplift in its investment in the rollout of its of its network, um, and then because everybody is so active in the market, you know, Sky is, uh, you know, a big advertiser uh, on television and, and out out of home. Every other sector in Ireland, Sky is a massive advertiser, so they're pumping loads of money in. They obviously want more customers too. And air you know they their their ad at, they're at campaign at the moment is is kind of unavoidable um so they're all chasing customers, so on that side of things, you would expect that things would be quite competitive on price uh, and the only thing mitigating against that is the fact that these all of these sports rights you know they haven't come cheap, the real winners um in this scenario are of course the 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 the, the rights owners the the various sporting bodies um and uh, some of the clubs perhaps, so there's two sort of different pressures there um, I would say if you were to you know look to sort of switching switching your either your broadband or your television or whatever telecoms package you have next year that you probably would be, avail- be able to avail of a particular offer that there will be offers out there um, but
0: It might have been the case in the past that had, somebody had an Aircom phone line yeah. then UPC came along with the broadband and said great I'll take that because that's the best broadband in the market and you might have also had a satellite dish giving them Sky that's probably less so now, I guess.
2: Yeah, I mean, it, it, there is a slight problem for consumers, I think, and this has been the case for a while, and I don't, I don't see it changing just yet. Where one company has the best broadband, and that's you know UPC/UPC UPC slash Virgin Media as it is now, well, that's the best broadband. If that's available in your area, then great. And one of the investments, of course, that they're doing next year is to make it available in more areas. Um, but perhaps you might want the Sky. Uh, package for it, it, it the content that it has, and the sort of the television interface, you know, that might be of appeal to you. And of course, some be- might be some people who just, out uh, for historic reasons, have 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 an air phone. But I mean, th- you know, to 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 a lot of all the customers probably have. Yeah, but to have to, to 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 sort of work with three different, to have three different uh, relationships with three different companies, sure. not only would that cost you more, but it's also kind of awkward.
0: And. It sounds like it's going to be a benefit, maybe on price, uh, for urban customers where all of these services are available. But there are large parts of Ireland where all of these services aren't available, isn't that right?
2: Yeah, I mean, th- yeah. I mean, th- there's just less choice. There's just less choice. I mean,
0: Virgin Media is predominantly an urban centric uh, company, right. it doesn't go into rural areas.
2: Mm-hmm. I know
0: Sky's broadband doesn't go into many rural yeah, areas. Yeah, yeah air has uh, an obligation under its licensing that it has to provide phone and uh, services to all areas of the country whereas the others don't so it's a bit of a mixed mixed bag really yeah for i mean i
2: know there's some people who you know air is the only service available to them and i'm sure those people would uh, love it if air spent all their money on improving and uh, upgrading and 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 uh, uh, accelerating that process rather than uh, shelling out uh, estimated what just over 20 million on uh, on a on on a, on a sports broadcaster but you know it's all parts of the same these are the these are days of convergence media convergence as we say um, television business and the telecoms business are pretty much the same
0: OK something to look forward to Laura thanks for joining us uh, that's it from this week's Irish Times Business Podcast my thanks to Colin Keenan, and Laura Slattery Declan Conlon produced the show JJ Vernon was sound engineer don't forget you can get the latest business news straight into your inbox by signing up to our business today email at Times.com. I'm Kieran Hancock until next time take care